Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the uh, US v Brown Bag. Uh, this evening, we're going to talk about what's new in vSAN 6.2 with, uh, with Jace McCarty. Um, he is at Jace McCarty. Uh, if you want to, please get in on the conversation, either at v Brown Bag or, or hashtag v Brown Bag. I'll be monitoring the Twitter feeds. Or if you're, or if you're live in here, um, feel free to ans ask a question. Uh, I'm Chris Williams at Mistwire and Jace McCarty at Jace McCarty, obviously at JaceMcCarty.com. Um, Jace, I'm going to cut over the presentation to you. And okay. And let me know when you can see my gravy and where. Let's see, there it is. There you go. I, I see your screen. And let's see. Um, is that is that showing up? Let's see. I'll try to hide that. All right, so um, I think we're going to do a bunch of slides tonight. <laughs> no, no. So um, <clears throat> again, my name my name is Jace McCarty, and I work for uh, for VMware in the storage and availability business unit. Uh, we're kind of the the group that handles virtual SAN, virtual volumes, um, also vSphere replication, as well as uh, site recovery manager. All right, so we're kind of the, the to some degree the storage side of VMware, if you will. Um, we don't necessarily focus a lot on the core storage stuff. A lot of the, you know, the vSphere core team will do that. Um, we're really kind of focused in the SDS, you know, space, if you will. So, um, and I had talked to to Frapp a couple, I don't know, a couple months ago about about doing this this uh, brown bag specific to kind of what what's new uh, as far as uh, virtual SAN 6.2. So, uh, please feel free as as I'm going through, you know, the the content. I've got a, a couple slides. Uh, I've actually got, if you notice down here at the bottom, I've got a couple different environments. So yes, I'm going to do some live demos, um, and hopefully they won't fail on me, but you never can tell over a VPN when you live 20 minutes uh, from where they film swamp people. Uh, but with that being said, if, you know, if we're going along and, and there's a question of some type, you know, hey, you know, tell me about this, I, I want more detail, that type of thing, please feel free to put it in the, uh, the Q&A box or the, the comments box. Chris will ping me, and we will go from there. We'll try to go a little bit deeper. And and if we need to go off the rails, if we need to to dig a little deeper, that type of thing, you know, uh, within the confines of the time that we have, I'm I'm very happy to do that. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I'll go ahead and kind of dive in. And and for anybody who's not familiar with Virtual SAN, and again, I don't want to make this all about slides and slides and slides, but, but anybody who's not familiar with Virtual SAN. Uh, really, what it is is it's it's VMware software-defined storage play, if you will, or or if you if you include it with with uh, vCenter and also SXI, you can really look at it as our hyper-converged software stack, right? So we take multiple hosts between two and up to 64 in a single cluster. We can manage multiple clusters by uh, uh, in a single vCenter across multi vCenters, that type of thing. But we take a local storage. It's comprised of either solid-state uh, devices for our cache tier and, and uh, capacity devices made of either solid-state or traditional traditional spinning drive. We put those all together in one big aggregate pool, and we call it the vSAN data store. All right. The important thing to, to keep in mind around the vSAN data store is, or vSAN itself is, is it's an object store as opposed to a traditional block or file, um, you know, file type data store, whether it be NFS or you know iSCSI or uh, fiber channel based presented storage. It's uh, it's an object file or an, an object uh, an object storage system. Now, 
it's built into the kernel. We don't really have to run any virtual storage appliances or anything like that. But one of the things to me that that really brings the most value when it comes to uh, to virtual sand is the fact that that and and I was a customer for 15 years, so I you know I'm, I I was the guy that they would always come to and hey we need a LUN or hey we need a mount or or whatnot. And it was always a pain in the tail when it came to juggling, you know, well, I've got this performance characteristic on these drives and this particular tray. And, I mean, I remember the days when I had to spread things across trays, you know, for redundancy and protection and, and whatnot, right? I mean, all that, you know, all those spreadsheets upon spreadsheets upon spreadsheets. And uh, with Virtual Sand, we're really all about storage policies. And I'm going to show those in just a minute within the interface. But, but what I mean specifically about storage policies is I can go and I can say, I want this VM configured in this fashion or just this component of, a, of the VM configured in this fashion. So if I want, let's say a, I have a SQL VM and I choose to have a, a different stripe width for, you know, let's say for instance the, uh, the D drive which I've got my SQL database on. If I want to change the level of performance of that particular VMDK while it's running, I can do that, right? Um, whereas, you know, the old-fashioned way of doing things, we'd have to go and and call the storage guy, hey, look, you know, it looks like um, like RAID 5 is not really doing it for me. You know, have you got some, some drives available? I, you know, maybe we can try a RAID 10 config, and then I'll, once you get it set up, then I'll move it over to it, right? Well, we don't have to do that anymore, and that's one of the things that I like the most about, uh, about virtual SAN. So uh, let me jump around and basically say, now, this isn't really new, but I will say in, in 6.0 um, we did it. One, one real quick, Pace. Um, can, sure. can, can you put that up into presentation mode? Some people are having a hard time uh, squinting at oh, it. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, let's see. Get that out of the way and try that. Come on. Okay. Thank you. All right. Is that a little bit better? Uh, yes, they are saying thank you. Sweet, sweet. All right. Sorry about that. No, no worries. So um, important thing to keep in mind is, is we do support all flash and hybrid configs, uh, all flash being capacity tier uh, residing on solid state devices. Uh, hybrid configuration, the capacity tier is on traditional spinning drives, and that we call it hybrid because it's a mix of solid state and, and traditional. Um, if you look at the numbers that we've got listed here, this 100,000 IOPS per host, that was actually on a particular, particular configuration where we had two disk groups. Uh, on those hosts, I think it was like an Intel cluster where we had um, 64 nodes getting about 6.4 million IOPS in the total cluster, and each node had two disk groups. Um, do the math, it comes out to about 105,000 IOPS uh, per host, you know, on average. Important thing to keep in mind when it comes to that is, you know, that's only two disk groups. We could go up to, to five disk groups. So you could conceivably, depending on the workload and the profile, you could conceivably go significantly higher, right? All right, now I'm going to zip through these slides kind of quick because I don't want to don't want to spend a lot of time on the slides. I want to make make sure we we get some hands on as far as that goes. But uh, 6.0 was introduced about a year ago. That's when we introduced all flash. 6.1 was really my first product launch at VMware. I've been there. Um, April was about a year for me. Before that, I worked for for EMC previous to VMware, and then I was a customer for 15 years before that. But with 6.1, we introduced stretch clusters. We introduced uh, two node, which is essentially a, uh, a stretch cluster config in a one plus one plus one uh, type of configuration. I'll show you my home lab in a minute. That's actually a two node. And then we've added some added some um, like a health check UI, which I'll show as well. 
And then in 6.2, which we, we released back in uh, March of this year, we added deduplication and compression. We added uh, erasure coding, RAID 5 and RAID 6 support, uh, software checksums, and so on. I'm not going to read them all off. But the important thing I want to keep in mind and, and mention is, is from, from March of 2014 to March of 2016, in two years, we've added a significant number of features. And customers keep asking, and we keep adding additional features, right, as far as that goes. So deduplication and compression is something that, that people have asked for, for for quite a while. This is one of our new features. And if you notice at the very top, it says all flash only, right? And this, uh, it says here, this will be called space efficiency. This, as well as erasure coding, effectively is called space efficiency. But important thing to keep in mind when it comes to deduplication and compression, if you notice the, the illustration, I've got three nodes here, a single VM residing on, uh, on that particular data storage running on the first host. Deduplication and compression is, is actually a cluster-wide setting. So it, it doesn't necessarily tie into the normal storage policy management, if you will, in comparison. Now let me, let me flip over to where my mouse is here. Whoops. And see if it'll let me come up with a... All right, so like, like this is a cluster that I'm, I've got here in my house, right, that I'm in the process of configuring. Uh, I just blew it away, and I'm in the process of, or I'm in the process of blowing it away. But notice here that I've got deduplication and compression enabled. It's a, it's a cluster level setting, so it's not really specific to any particular VM, and it's not really specific to um, any particular policy, right? It's either always on for the cluster, or it's always off for the cluster. There's no here or there. Now, if you notice, I've got couple hosts here. I've got a witness running. These are actually running on an NFS data store because I didn't want to have to recreate them as I'm I'm uh, building this cluster, if you will, right? But I literally go in. This is how easy it is to configure Virtual Sand. Well, let me back up first, and let me uh, let me cut, let me look at the hardware on one of these hosts, right? And these are just some little Sandy Bridge systems I've had for about five years, but I put some certified hardware in, uh, and the process of doing that. Look at my storage devices. Take just a second. I apologize. They don't pay me enough for, for killer gear or anything like that. But <laughs> Wait. They sorry. don't. You know, you know Webster? Uh, outrageous. Yeah, no. All right. So, so if you notice here, I've got this is just like a this is an old you know uh, I'll call it consumer grade uh, solid state device that I'm literally running ESXi off of. Right. There are no special requirements. Uh, for that particular, yeah, there's an error, okay. Um, it, it, this Again, this is just a consumer-based drive. I'm not really going to be writing, writing any data to it. This is just my local install of, of, uh, of ESXi. Now, uh, I do have a Micron P420M uh, PCIe solid-state device uh, that Micron was, was um, gracious, gracious, enough, gracious enough to lend to me for a short time. And then I've got two... Um, two additional solid state devices that are I'm going to be using for capacity. Now with that being said, I've got my onboard storage controller here, and then I've got my, this is actually a, um, it's an Avago LSI 9361-8i. Now the interesting thing is, is this card is not certified for an all-flash configuration uh, per our HCL, but it's actually the same exact chipset as the uh, Dell H730. Uh, which is certified for an all-flash, so I'm uh, I'm I'm going to be a little risky here when it comes to that. But if you notice, I've got two devices running on that particular controller, 
and then from that I've got the again the micron uh, solid state device right so when I go to to set up vSAN I mean it's really literally this easy this is this is new when we first had vSAN up to uh, literally about version 6.1 it wasn't quite this easy right so I'm going to say I want to add disks manually I want to enable the duplication and compression and in this particular case I'm going to do a two host style uh, configure or two node cluster right and then it checks to ensure that and I, I did a um, I did a presentation uh, I want to say beginning of, of May and uh, Michael Haig who's in uh, in storage and availability as well he's one of the uh, product marketing guys he asked me what's the one thing that you always forget to do when you set up your vSAN environment anytime you set up a demo or whatnot and I personally always forget my networking always right the nice thing about this is is this will actually go and say okay these hosts are already configured from a networking perspective and you can add them very easily right so I've already got them set up all right now we'll say I'm running a development build so I may or may not be able may or may not run into uh, some issues it looks like I'm going to but what we would do is we would add disks here and then in the process of adding disks we would then add a witness right and then I go and I add my cache tier and I add my capacity tier and I hit finish. Now I'll have to go back and look at my disks again in a moment under uh, disk management. But important thing I wanted to mention though is specifically around deduplication and compression is enabled at the cluster level. Now if we come back over here, let me get this out of the way. Uh, quick question. Uh -huh. Um, actually, actually um, se several people have asked the same question, and I don't know if you're going to be getting to it eventually. And if you are, we'll just we'll just uh, table it until you get to it. Um, oh, go ahead and ask. No. But it's uh, can can uh, can vSAN coexist with vVols? How does vSAN interact with vVols? I, I don't know okay. if you have, if yeah. Well, so that's a, that's actually a very good question, right? So um, let me get into let me kind of go back to my environment here, right? But look at my data stores in my home lab here, and I've got a little Synology uh, 18, 13 plus is what it is. If you'll notice, I've got some data stores, you know, localhost one, localhost two. NFS is actually my Synology um, device, and then the vSAN data store. Now, if you look at the different different hosts that I have, I have the witness down here, and I've got host one and two. These VMs right here are actually running on my NFS data store. Now, where this is all kind of important is vSAN doesn't really care if you consume other storage types. So with that being said, if you want to, let's say you wanted to run, uh, you know, Unity from EMC with their new, uh, their new vVols capability there. If you want to run, uh, you know, NetApp filers with, uh, uh, with their vVols capability, you want to run SolidFire, whatnot. <clears throat> Anything that supports vVols as well as, as, uh, as vSAN or NFS or traditional block storage, you can all use them all together, right? I will mention that when it comes to vVols and when it comes to traditional storage, those, um, I'll say storage tiers, if you will, not really tiers, but devices, those storage targets is probably a better way of saying it, can really be used across uh, any clusters, right? Whereas vSAN is a per cluster resource, right? So with that being said, if I wanted to, let's say, have vVols and use vVols across two independent clusters, then I could do that. With vSAN, though, I'm only consuming those with consuming those resources within that cluster. Okay, so that's kind of a differentiation. Now, I will show one thing. Let me just make sure I've got my disks up and running here. Uh, and they may or may not be. Okay, there we go. So they're, they're there. All right, I'll see that I've got my capacity devices. But where it's kind of important, and, and again, the, the thing I was talking about that I like the most 
when it comes to to, um, to vSAN is the fact that and these are VM storage policies that happen to be on my system because I don't have vVols installed or anything with vVol evolves anything with vVols installed. Uh, I can have policies that are specific specific to vVols. Like I could say a new you know new storage policy, and I'll say you know it's temp. Right, and then I'll come over here and I'll I'll pick a rule set, and that rule set would be vVols if I've got something vVol compatible. Right, so I can go and I can add a rule, you know, number of failures or, or whatever. Right, as far as that goes. The important thing to keep in mind when it comes to SPBM storage policy based management is, is I can go and I can assign a a policy to a VM, and if I've got vSAN storage as well as vVol storage that both satisfy the requirements, then I can easily pick either one of those. Right. So let me. Uh, <laughs> No, the webcam is not working, Tim. Sorry about that. Let me show an example of this. I was just looking at Twitter, right? Right. So let so so like like this VM right here, control, right? So I can go and I can say, um, I can migrate this VM from my NFS-based storage. I want to change the storage only. This will probably take a while because I've only got one gig. I don't have anything significantly fast. I mean, I've got a t-tiny little 10 gig switch for the um, for the uh, uh, the hosts, but um, unfortunately, it's not tied into the Synology because it doesn't support it. So I can come over here and I can say, okay, I want to protect um, from one failure, which is the most I can do in a, in a two-node config, and I want to give it a stripe width of one, right? So I go and I do that, and it says, oh, okay, well, only this vSAN data store is compatible. If I had a vVol data store that was also compatible with those policies, then I could do that as well, right? So at that point, I just hit next, and it'll go and say, "All right, I'll storage vMotion, and I'll move it over, right?" And let's see. I don't know if I want to look at my health and performance. Maybe I will. Come back and look at my, my monitor here. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I'm probably going to get some errors here because, yeah, I haven't configured the performance service yet, and I think from cleaning up a little bit earlier, I've got a couple objects that are inaccessible, but we'll get it started rebuilding those. So that's one of the, the really important things when it comes to, to, to vSAN is the fact that that uh, it's going to be rebuilding. There we go. Home lab, live demo. Anyway, but the policies, right? Policies for vVols, policies for vSAN and whatnot. It gives me a lot of choice. Now, if you'll notice, um, without going deep into, into or into deduplication and, and compression because I want to make sure we get a good bit of the meat. I'll go into erasure coding now. It's important to keep in mind that when it comes to erasure coding, if I go and I create a new policy and I click on my VM storage policies here, if I go and say, well, no, I don't want to change one. I want to create a new one. So I'll create a new one and I'll say, uh, I'll call it RAID 5, right, which is kind of, yeah, maybe it's appropriate enough to call it that. I'm going to say vSAN. I'm going to add a rule, and I want to choose uh, my failure tolerance method. Notice I have a couple options here, RAID 1 or RAID 5 slash 6, erasure coding. Okay, it's important to keep in mind that on two-node configurations, on stretch cluster configurations, and on hybrid configurations, mirroring is the only option today. Okay, and the reason that is, is because, let me, let me go back over to this right over here, 
if we look at the configuration of the cluster, if I go and I look at my fault domains and stretch cluster, right, I've essentially got one fault domain here, one fault domain here, and then I've got my witness handling the metadata, right, for that particular for those objects. So if I look at this control VM, the one that I was migrating over, and I'm not sure if it's done or not. Uh, it's in the process of doing that, but if I go and look at that and I look at the policies for that particular VM, once it moves over, we may have to come back. Oh, there it is. Right? Uh, it's not going to show it to me there. Maybe I need to go to cluster, and I need to go to monitor, virtual disks. There we go. Come on. Uh, it hadn't done it because it hasn't moved yet. But what will happen is, is this will show me where that particular object is as far as placement goes. In other words, I'm going to have one copy on one host, I'm going to have another copy on another host, and then the metadata that basically acts as the tiebreaker from a clustering perspective is going to reside out on the witness. Now, I can change other things, like I can change my stripe width, I can change, you know, disable checksums, I can do in a hybrid config, I can do an object space reservation, those types of things, where I can literally custom tune different pieces of a VM. If I had multiple hard disks here, multiple VMDKs, then I could independently choose a different policy for each. Like if I were to take my VCSA, which is again running on the NFS side uh, right now, and move it over, I could literally go, and, and there's not going to be any policies here, but I could tie a different policy to each one of these. Right? So I can literally say, okay, right now it's data store default. I want to do FTT1, uh, FTT0, stripe width of uh, 1. I wouldn't do that because it only gives you one copy, but you know, let's say you want to do a stripe width of 2 here or whatnot, right? You can independently tune. And where that brings a lot of value to me is, like I was saying before, I don't have to call a storage guy or me be the guy wearing all the hats doing storage also and carve up another line just to meet the individual requirements of one piece of a workload. I gave a, a, a session at VMworld last year along with SanDisk where we had done some performance testing on a, um, on a, a I want to say it was an Oracle workload on a four-node all-flash configuration. And this was before we had erasure coding, before we had uh, deduplication compression because it was 6.1. But we found that if we changed the stripe width of a particular VM, if all we did was change the stripe width of one particular, actually, VMDK of that VM, we could adjust the performance, right? And, and essentially where that table or those tables that we were hitting in our performance testing, if we wanted to make a stripe width of, of 8, we didn't really see any more performance than we did with a stripe width of 6. Versus a stripe width of 4, we saw a degradation in performance. So 6, with six was kind of our happy spot, right, if you will. But I can do that on the fly. You know, I can I can make the change, I can apply the policy, and then once it meets that policy and becomes compliant with that policy, I can go and I can look at it again and say, okay, what's the performance of it? You know, how does it look, right? So um, let's um, see if uh, let's see if controls. Okay, so it's come up. Any questions so far? Uh, a couple. Um, okay. Uh, what uh, f first off is what does it mean? What does it mean by erasure coding? Okay. Okay. So erasure coding is. Is essentially, it's a erasure coding is actually a, a broad uh, spectrum, if you will, of, of of I'll say data reduction techniques, if you will. 
RAID 5 could be considered a type of erasure coding. RAID 6 could be considered a type of erasure coding. Uh, the way that we do our um, we do protection is we have, as I mentioned before, in the policies, I mentioned that we had, um, let me just go back to it really quickly, I mentioned that we had uh, a failure tolerance method, uh, and I'm just going to zip through here so we can see them. A failure tolerance method of either, you have either mirroring or erasure coding. Uh, no, no, uh, there we go. So mirroring or erasure coding. So in a... <clears throat> In a, uh, in, a, in a hybrid or stretch cluster uh, config, again, mirroring is our default. Erasure coding gives us the capability of, of really spreading it out a little bit differently, you know, our data out a little differently. Now, okay. important thing to keep in mind with, with mirroring, mirroring is I have a copy here, I have a copy there, and that's it, right? This is no, you know, additional overhead specific to how we're laying the data out. Whereas erasure coding like RAID 5, I typically have have to have, I mean, RAID 5 itself can be like a 2 plus 1 or a 3 plus 1 or 4 plus 1 or, or whatnot with one essentially a parity bit, if you will. The way we do it in Virtual SAN with, with RAID 5 is, is is we spread it across four objects. So we say a 3 plus 1, if you will, distribution. We call that an FTT of, or we call that RAID 5 slash FTT1 erasure coding. And what that essentially means is if we were to lose one of those components, then the other three components could put everything back together. RAID 6 would be if we want a failure tolerate of two. So if we want to be able to lose two complete objects in the process of doing that, um, we would need to have, say, um, RAID 6 requires six hosts. RAID 5 requires four hosts. Mirroring requires uh, the, the formula is actually 2N plus 1. And what that basically means is, is if, we, if we want to protect from one failure, then we have two copies if, or, and require three hosts. If we want to protect from two failures, then we have um, three copies and we have to have at least five hosts and so on. Okay. I hope that, I hope that kind of clears that up. Uh, yep, it sure does. And the second question was, um, can a VM have disks with, a VSAN, with vSAN policies and disks with vVol policies? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can independently tie policies to different objects. So you can have one VMDK, like, like uh, you know, let's say you're running, uh, let's say you've got some type of array-based replication or something, and you want to be able to replicate, you know, data disks, but OS disks you want to run on vSAN, you can absolutely split those apart. Cool. At the same time, if you wanted to have a, a VM running on vSAN that had a requirement for an RDM, we don't support physical, um, well, RDMs in, in general on, on vSAN. Right. And if you wanted to have an RDM pointing at a traditional storage and you want to be able to run the rest on vSAN, you could absolutely do that. All right, so here's here's kind of a racer coding. This is again RAID 5, kind of a distribution of of where the data you know, is, is laid. Now, important thing to keep in mind when it comes to mirroring, if I have a completely full 100 gig VMDK and I do mirroring FTT1, I'm going to take up 200 gigs. Right. With RAID 5, that 100, 100 gig VM is only going to take up 133 gigs. So erasure coding is very beneficial when it comes to guaranteed storage capacity savings, right? So RAID 5 essentially gives us 50% more usable space than we do with mirroring with one failure to tolerate. If we've got two failures to tolerate, we essentially get 100% more capacity to use. So where, where an FTT of two mirroring would require the first 100, another 100, 
and a third hundred, that's 300, and a RAID 6 FTT2 type configuration, then it gets to the point where now we only need 150 gigs as opposed to 300 gigs. Okay? And that's guaranteed. That's not, you know, oh, it depends on your workload. or No, it's none of that, right? Uh, erasure coding is a guaranteed capacity savings because of the way that we write. Now, I'm not going to say that it comes without a little additional overhead. It does because using erasure coding, as you go to lay data out, every write actually becomes a read and modify as opposed to just a write. Mirroring, we just write to, to any and all uh, DMDKs because they're whole objects uh, wherever they reside across all of our different devices within the vSAN data store. But erasure coding is going to say, okay, well, I, you know, I've got to read what's there, I've got to modify what's there, and take into account the calculations for my erasure coding you know, with my parity. Right? So there is a little additional overhead. We're not seeing anything significant. Um, we typically say about up to 10% CPU utilization with um, with vSAN in general with mirroring, and we're seeing between two and four percent or so uh, additional CPU requirements. Um, you know, when erasure coding and deduplication uh, and compression are all enabled at the same time. So, in the grand scheme of things, it's not really significant. Um, you know, as, as I was saying, we typically say 10% CPU in general, but we see some customers that only utilize 2% of their CPU or, you know, 4% of their CPU or 8 or something like that. So it's it's really not significant. And the great thing about vSAN is, is vSAN is going to scale, you know, from a CPU and, and memory requirement perspective appropriately. If I have more cache devices, I'll take up a little bit more RAM. If I have less cache devices, less disk groups, then I'm, I'm not going to take up as much. Uh, we don't ever run into a situation where we have to, you know, turn any nerd knobs, if you will, to try to add more resources to vSAN. It's it's going to intelligently uh, work across the, spe uh, the spectrum given the hardware that's that's in the you know in the system, right? All right. Uh, let's see. And I don't want to go over any marketing slides. So we did add quality of service. I would really kind of call this really IOPS limits. Right. Uh, important thing to keep in mind is, is, is you know, if you have that one noisy neighbor application, you know, when I was in financial, I used to work for Equifax. It wasn't uncommon for you know one particular customer or various customers would do, you know, end of month reports. Well, end of months, you know, after a couple times that it happened and they ran these really poorly written queries against their databases, you know, we would see, you know, performance, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of, I'm not going to say performance degradation, but but a lot of, lot more utilization than we had seen in the past. Whereas we could use something like like our quality of service, um, uh, you know, feature, if you will, to be able to limit and not let them use any more IOPS than you know a given amount that we you know, that let's let's say they subscribe to or that particular department, um, you know, has has paid for within a you know organizational budget or whatnot, right? Any questions so far, Chris? Or you Oh yeah, there, I'm, we're, I'm, we're getting peppered. <laughs> um, no, Tom, no, go ahead. Throw, Tom, Tom is asking, uh, what, what has been the most unusual case for vSAN so far? Unusual? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, uh, if, if, if there's, if there's something cool, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I, I don't know of anything unusual per se, but, but um, I mentioned before, I re I'm a really big fan of two node, mm -hmm. and from a, from an HCI perspective. Um, you know, 
most HCI vendors, um, you know, really it's either one node or three nodes. One node doesn't give you a lot of you know redundancy. Two nodes gives you gives you some redundancy at a smaller footprint. Three nodes obviously gives you a little bit more you know a little bit more availability, but at additional cost from a, you know from a hardware licensing perspective. Um, I've seen you know vSAN uh, deployed in, uh, in in ships, in submarines, on oil derricks. Um, really, I've seen cool. hardened you know hardened uh, um, you know I'm not gonna say Pelican cases, but I've seen some some hardened you know deployments for for various environments where you know I think it's uh, I think it's pretty interesting that if you know if we design it right and set it up right, then we can we can definitely. You know, meet that. Now, I'm not going to say we're we're not the we're not the only solution out there that that will work in a two node config. I mean, at one point we had the old you know VSA, which would do two node, and and I think we still have some customers out there that are still under support using that in in you know like large retail environments and that type of thing. But I think two node, you know, is probably going to going to pick up, uh, you know, in the next know, six months or a year. Um, Tom just said oil rig answers my questions. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about the from the perspective of if I can put a, a, either a lot of capacity or a lot of you know a lot of flash, enable deduplication and compression. Again, erasure coding is not available in TuneNode, but if I can go and I can put a lot of a lot of capacity in a very very small frame, and I'll be honest with you, you know, the the hosts that I have here at the house don't take up any um, don't take up any. I mean, there's no heat as far as that goes. I mean, very low power. You know, very very tight. Um, you know, small space. I, th I think it's great. I mean, two node is probably my favorite way to deploy vSAN. Now, it's not not to say there aren't some you know operational challenges when it comes to to two node, when it comes to upgrades and different things like that, because you don't necessarily have the additional you know redundancy. You typically have to be in a degraded mode uh, as you're going through upgrades, right? Because you've only got two you know two failure domains, if you will, or fault domains, if you will. All right. More questions? Um, one, one last one. Uh, what is the memory overhead for this? Well, it, memory overhead typically for vSAN itself <clears throat> is. Um, uh, sorry about that. My wife is in the middle of nowhere with no cell service and is trying to call me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, typical overhead for vSAN as far as a memory. I, I covered CPU a minute ago, but memory starts out at about three, uh, three gigs of RAM. We've got a formula. There's a KB article on it. Uh, it's really easy to, to find. If you Google vSAN um, memory requirements, it'll literally spell it out. That oh, KB article will tell you literally how much it takes. Um, I've seen some cases where, um, uh, you know, if, if you're in a, a, a fully configured 64 node, uh, you know, all five uh, disk groups are in are in use. Um, you know, I've seen 32 gigs of RAM, but you know. <laughs> We average between you know between six and maybe twelve gigs of RAM. You know, oh, that's not bad. And if you think about host today, um, I mean, all, again, it all depends on the on the disk group configuration, the the size of the cache devices. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if you look at host today, I mean, it's it's so easy to get a host with 128 gigs of RAM. It's it, you know it's they're not expensive, right? In the, in yep. the grand scheme of things, so it doesn't take up a lot. Um, I'll mention that we do take some of that RAM. Uh, a new feature in 6.2, and I've got it listed here, is called Client Cache. What Client Cache does is it, it works kind of like CBRC or the View Storage Accelerator did for, for virtual desktops. Mm -hmm. But we take 0.4% uh, of the RAM up to a gig 
and we allocate that as a local read cache. Now it's important, I didn't mention this before specifically, but a VM could be running on host number one, but yet the data could be on host number two and host number three in a three node, right? And that client cache, what that does is that reserves you know, a gig of, of, uh, of local RAM as a read cache, so you know, acceleration as far as that goes. But there's really no affinity of a VM to the data. A VM could be completely somewhere else you know, from the VM as long as it's within that same cluster. Gotcha. Um, something that I'm kind of proud of is the next one that you see here is called Sparse Swap. Uh, we were having some conversations internally around January and we're talking about the way that the swap file is actually created and, and keep in mind that, that vSAN is, a, is an object store, right? So, so as we go and create that, that swap file, let's say I have a VM with four gigs of RAM allocated to it and I don't do any reservations, then I'm going to make a vSwap file that's four gigs. Well, it's typically a, you know, a thin vSwap file, but it has the capacity of, of getting very large. Now, in vSAN by default, we reserve that space, we, and everything's thin on vSAN, but we actually apply a policy, a hard-coded policy, uh, with an object space reservation of 100, right, or 100%. What that basically means is, is that 4 gig um, vSwap file, even though it's not taking up any actual capacity in my vSAN data store, it's res we're reserving that space, right? So if, if I've got a large you know, a VM that I'm not doing any reservations on, I've just taken capacity away. You know, and I had this conversation with, uh, with, with Christos and a couple of other guys, and, and, and you know, we were kind of, you know, just emails back and forth, and I said, why are we doing this? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, wouldn't somebody who's familiar with nerd knobs and, and is watching their capacity, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could take away that 100% object space reservation and, and make it require nothing? Right? Basically, not you know, pre-allocate that space or protect that space. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you run out of capacity, your VM and your swap doesn't have space to write to. If you overcommit, that VM is going to fail, and that's just you know, the nature of things. But if you're one of those guys like me, you know, that gets in and fools with the nerd knobs and whatnot, it's really watching the environment. Then, you know, you could really, you could really watch this space, right? You could really use it. Like, I spun up. Um, 500 VMs on a little four-node cluster that I have um, with four gigs of RAM each, and it used four terabytes of capacity. Two terabytes for the VM for the vSwap files themselves, and then two terabytes for the mirror, right? Because we by default on swap files do an FTT of one, right? So, so at that point, I took up four terabytes of, of space doing nothing. And the funny part is, is I only have like six terabytes of space on, on that cluster. Right, so so it kind of you know put me in a, in a bit of a bind, but then you know I upgraded to 6.2, made the change, and it took up 3.6 terabyte or 3.6 gigabytes of capacity, knowing that I'm not overcommitting any of those VMs from a memory perspective. So that's one of my favorite uh, you know little little features that we uh, we added in 6.2. Uh, I actually do on my site, which you mentioned earlier, have a Power uh, PowerShell script that'll actually go and you can point it at a cluster and it'll turn that off on on all the hosts. Oh, nice. You know, make that setting change. Yeah, a couple of them. Actually, one to, one to turn it off, one to turn it on, and one just to look and see what the, you know, what it is. So, um, something else I'll mention that I really like, and I'm going to show this in just a second with 6.2, is now we've got uh, advanced reporting from a capacity uh, monitoring perspective, and then also the fact that, that from a performance service, and I may have to go enable it to be able to do this, but I can literally go and look at um, the IOPS, the utilization from a cluster, from a host, from a disk group, from a storage device, 
and from a virtual disk perspective. I can look at the IOPS, I can look at outstanding I.O., I can get very granular. And this is built into the product, right? It's not anything that, that uh, I have to add VROPS or, or, you know, anything like that on, you know, to make it happen. Let's see if I can find a cluster that, no, that's not a good one. I don't even know what cluster this is. <laughs> Wish there was a way for me to, uh, oh, look at that, I'm connected twice to the same cluster. Wish there was some way I could change this color. I'm going to have to get onto uh, a mod and see if he can come up with a way of changing colors in the in the client. But <laughs> but I can I can literally go in and I can say under monitor I can look at performance and I can drill down and it may not be on because you have to enable it. But and I may I don't may not have it enabled. But for like what's going on right now, I can literally go in and I can look at a particular time frame. And I can go and I can say, oh, come on. I'm probably going to go enable it. Come on. Home lab. All right. So it's like, and keep in mind, I'm running dev code here. I'm not actually running GA code. So, no. All right. And I come over here to my health and performance. I need to, okay, so it's enabled. It's enabled. All right. All right, so if I go and look at my performance, and it'll take it a second. This is not the fastest, so. So I literally, I can look at my IOPS, my throughput, my latency. This is at the vSAN level, right? I'm seeing about 2,000 IOPS on on uh, the cluster right now. Really not, not anything. I've only got one VM on it. But I can, I can go to the, that was at the cluster level. I can literally go to the host itself, and I can go back to monitor, back to performance. And I can look at look at performance from a VM perspective. I can look at the back end. I can look at the disk groups on a host. In a particular configuration where I have multiple independent disk groups, again, remember I can have up to five. I can look at the performance for that particular disk group, or I can even drill down to an individual capacity device or cache device on uh, on that particular node, right? So if I have one problematic capacity device, you know, let's say I need a firmware upgrade or, or something like that, I can literally, where's the mouse? There we go. I can literally go in and drill down to each one of these, right? And see what the performance is, right? And that can have completely different uh, performance characteristics, you know, across different capacity devices, depending on how data lands, right? I could have a, a stripe width of two and I could take that VMDK, that control VM, and it could reside on two completely different capacity devices. I could do a stripe width of four or, or whatnot. We actually do up to up to twelve on a stripe width, right? So it's again all policy. Let's see if this is going to show me. Yeah, here we go. So if I look at my physical displacement, I should see, and it'll say RAID RAID one, right? Because I've got um, I've got one on host two, one on host one, and then I've got my witness little metadata sitting over here. Now, I can go and I can check and ensure the profile compliance. It checked it. It's good. Literally, I can come over here and I can say the policy. I want to change the policy to a stripe width of two. And I'll just do it all. Well, I can do it to all of them. It's important to keep in mind, though, the home space. This is where your VMX file and, and um, you know, your NVRAM and all those other pieces are. They all reside in the VM home, but it's important to remember that it's actually not spread across multiple stripes. It, it really only maintains a single stripe width. 
even though I'm applying the policy to it. All right. So I'll go in and do that, and it'll take just a second. We immediately see that, hey, well, it's still compliant. But now our data disk is not compliant. So if you notice here, what it's actually doing in this case is, is it's going, it's taking this particular component and it's making making a copy, putting it on two different capacity devices on, on the opposite node. It's taking this one and it's doing two independent uh, capacity devices on this particular node, right? So it's literally making a copy and migrating it to that as we speak. Once it's done, then we'll only see uh, effectively five components there. We'll see two components on, on one host, two components on another host, and then uh, the witness component off on the, uh, the witness or, or witness uh, appliance, if you will. Right? That to me is what's awesome, that I don't have to call a storage admin and say, give me a new LUN. Give me a new LUN that's RAID 10 or, um, you know, give me a LUN that's, you know, RAID 5 or, you know, whatever. RAID, RAID 6 for cheap and deep, you know, whatever. I can custom tailor that on my own, right, as far as that goes. Um, let's see. The health check plugin, maybe this will work for me now that I've, I don't have so many errors, right, in my home lab. And, oh, that's where I wanted to go. I was in the right spot. Okay. So, like, I can also see that here, right? I can also see my, my components, right, as far as that goes. And as they're as they're being migrated, right? I can also go and look at my health here, and I'll probably have some errors. Um, okay, so I do have a hardware compatibility error. This is is specific to the uh, to the Micron drives because we're not really checking um, storage devices, only controllers, as far as that goes. Um, but if I were if I were just using this with some like locally attached SAS or SATA drives, then then uh, it would show up all green far as that goes, but here I can look at my network and I can see that you know all my hosts have a, a VMK NIC uh, present. It should show up at the bottom here in a second. I've got matching multicast settings and these are anemic hosts, so I apologize. Matching subnets and whatnot, right, as far as that goes. Checks my MTU. Show me pings. Hey, everything's pinging okay. Everybody's talking to each, you know, uh, everybody fine. All these things that are typically built into a traditional storage array, you know, we're exposing this from a from a uh, uh, you know distributed computing perspective. So it makes it easier for the storage admin or virtualization admin to to have very very granular visibility into what's going on. Right? I can look at my data. I look at look at the health of objects. I don't have much. I just have the one host, but it's this five objects is the you know the VMDKs themselves as well as um, uh, you know the home space, right, and swap file. I can go and I can look at the cluster. I can see that, hey, I've got proper deduplication consistency across all hosts. All the hosts have the right uh, disk format version and whatnot, right? So, so a lot of granularity. And then from a two node and stretch cluster config, I can easily see that, that I've got you know, everything properly configured. I've got good latency, right? Really, really cool stuff. Now, I'm not gonna go into proactive test because I know it's gonna bomb on, on this particular system. Uh, that I have, but I can go and I can do a storage performance test. This actually ought to work pretty well. Um, my multicast I'm having some issues with, so it's not going to show a good um, a good response. But I can proactively go and check the configuration of um, you know of, of the cluster, right, to ensure that everything's properly working. 
Now, there's going to be one instance of this for each cluster. So I'm, if I have multiple clusters, like in this environment right here, then I would have you know multiple um, health reports, if you will. All right. With that being said, I need to delete this guy. I had to do that earlier. And we're kind of running late on time. How are we on questions? Um, I have four. <laughs> Oh wow! Um, okay. but, but but I don't but I don't want to. I mean, if you're on a roll, I don't I don't want to bug you. Oh no, no go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I, I want to make sure we get them. Well, there's here's an easy one. There's some there's some Yahoo named C Bunch on here asking what's a LUN. So we're gonna just skip right yeah. past that one. Um, uh, Dinesh is asking uh, um, how oh, how many node configuration is the most common uh, for a vSAN deployment? You said 64 was the max. But what's what's well, so 64 is the max, but if you look at the if you look at the perspective of you know our Evo Rail appliance that we had in the past and the current VX Rail um, appliances, they start out at four, right? And if you think about it, four is kind of a, a good place to start. One of the challenges that you run into with a three-node uh, configuration is, you know, I mean, three-node works well. Don't get me wrong, but you know, if you let's say you're going through a, a maintenance action, you're upgrading a host. Uh, you, you know, you're in the process of, of upgrading vSphere on a particular, you know, ESXi on a particular host. And if we have an FTT of one, now don't think two node and, and stretch cluster type configs where we have a witness, but think about having data on host one, data on host two, and let's say a witness component on host three, that type of thing. If I need to bring uh, host one offline because I'm doing maintenance, I don't, I don't really have any anywhere to put that data. Right, so I've effectively at that point got to run in a, in a you could say a reduced availability mode, if you will, as you're as you're performing that upgrade, right? In a four-node config, that's to, that's kind of what I would look at as a as a hot rebuild type, you know, type scenario, right? Where if I really wanted to be 100% certain, then I could go and I could completely evacuate all the data off the node that I'm working on. And then I've still got that that three node availability as far as that goes. So that's I would assume that's one of the one of the reasons they started off with four nodes, right? As far as that goes. Um, but I've seen four nodes, I've seen eight nodes, I've seen twelve, I've seen sixteen, uh, I've seen ten. It's really dependent on the workload. You know, some people will actually go and and do a very small, uh, you know, four node or six node specific to you know they want to isolate a particular workload from a licensing perspective. Right, that type of thing. So it's it's really kind of you know your own use case. Um, the challenge that I run into most often is, you know, you hear people people quite often will say, well, you know, we need to be able to support you know, X amount of nodes. Well, the entire time I was a customer, as well as the entire time I've been a vendor, um, I don't think I've ever really seen a large percentage of any customers you know, going higher than. Um, uh, you know, 32 nodes. I think 32, 32 is kind of a, you know, I'm not going to say a ceiling per se, but it's kind of a, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, just a norm as far as the, the largest that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? As far as that goes. Um, do you see any customers deploying vSAN for uses requiring remote replication? Oh, I, I apologize. Hold on one sec. My... Sure. <laughs> yes. Is, is Cody bugging you again? Bugging you again? Yeah. <laughs> it, it never fails either. So. But anyway, anyway, um, what was the question specifically? Uh, do, do you see any customers deploying vSAN for use cases requiring requiring remote replication? Um, 
I don't I don't know what you mean specifically about remote, remote replication. I mean, do you mean like using uh, vSphere replication, or I mean, are you? I, I think he's talking about either just as as a source or as a target for remote replication using using something else like vSphere replication or Zerto or something. Well, so, like that. so so we we do see that a lot in uh, I would say in our in our robo you know deployments if you will. I mean I've seen it in some of the uh, you know large mirrored data centers. You know there's always the question when it comes to availability. Do I want uh, you know do I want to use let's say to vSAN on two different large data centers and then use vSphere replication in conjunction with Site Recovery Manager. You could absolutely do that. Okay. Uh, you could also potentially, like I was talking with a customer here in Louisiana, um, that they were looking at deploying uh, two node clusters, or, or no, I'm sorry, four node clusters in some remote um, uh, uh, grocery stores. And they said they didn't do a lot of, you know, didn't have a lot of performance necessarily uh, requirements during the day, but yet in the evening, uh, you know, there were some things that they did specific to, you know, some, um, I'm not going to say adjudication, but, but, you know, bringing in all the receipts of the day and all the inventory and all those different things, you know, they could at, at that particular case, in that particular case, change a policy, change performance or, uh, you know, like a, uh, um, um, cash reservation or whatnot in our hybrid configs, and then at that point they could, you know, tie that into into replication, right? It, all, it really all depends on the use case. Um, but we do in pretty much every uh, vSphere license, you do get uh, vSphere replication, you know, for free. In 6.1, we introduce the fact that, or su now support the fact that, if you're replicating from a vSAN data store to a target vSAN data store with vSphere replication, for free, we can up to a certain number of VMs, we can meet an, uh, an, an uh, RPO of, uh, of five minutes, or RTO of five minutes, right? Um, if you're going from vSAN to, to a traditional data store or traditional data store of vSAN or whatnot, then 15 minutes is kind of that ceiling, right, as far as that goes. Uh, if you went the VX rail route, uh, they do include, a, I'll say, a similar product, which has a little bit different capabilities from a uh, synchronous and asynchronous perspective called Recover Point for Virtual Machines. Uh, but you could very easily, you know, very easily do that with, uh, with you know, vSphere replication, RP for VMs, or some of the other per VM replications, um, um, I'll say, technologies out there. Um, the important thing to keep in mind, though, is, is we don't do any type of uh, currently, you know, any type of, of replication based on the vSAN data store itself, right? It's all per VM. Right. And one of the reasons that I kind of like the fact that we tie it into vSphere replication is it works with all of our other products, right? Um, specifically what, you know, if we're using, um, you know, traditional arrays or, you know, file systems or, or even vSAN, we can use vSphere replication with all of them. It works very well with SRM. Huh. So more questions? Uh, no, no, that that was the last one. Oh, good, good. I'm caught up. I'm caught yep. Up. Okay. I'm trying to think what else uh, I wanted to show you guys, and I'm sure Dinesh is probably going to give me hell the next time I talk to him. Uh, <laughs> I will say, and this is of course a marketing slide, right? And I think we're right at the end of our time, but uh, and there's there's a ton of stuff that that I really didn't get to cover. I kind of just covered the highlights of of what's new. Um, but if, if you want to play with vSAN and you don't want to have to spin anything up, if you don't want to have to invest any money in, in gear like I have here in the, in the home lab, uh, you can go try our hands-on lab. And let me actually put that full screen again, right? You can try our hands-on lab. And that doesn't cost you anything. You can do it from, a, from any, kind of, any kind of browser, right? Whether it be on an iPad or an Android device or on your desktop, laptop, whatever. 
if you're a VMUG Advantage member, um, it will, by default, Virtual SAN is free for the first 60 days, right? So the, the standard trial licensing. Um, but you can get a six-month eval as a VMUG Advantage member, I think for free. So it basically extend that by, you know, uh, four months. Or you can get an uh, uh, eval experience for 200 bucks, and that basically gives it to you for a year for your home lab. And I don't know how many licenses that is. It's uh, six. Yeah, yeah. Um, six CPU licenses, right? So with that being said, also, um, if you really think vSAN is, is something that would work well in your environment, and keep in mind, we're you know we initially positioned vSAN as a <clears throat> you know as a as a tier two test and dev you know whatnot type type solution from a very conservative stance early on back in the in the in the 5.5 days. But what we found over over the past two years is customers are running more and more, and if I, in fact I've got a slide uh, specific to this. Um, customers are running more and more workloads on vSAN, business critical apps, right? SQL, uh, Oracle, Exchange, different things like that, you know, BCAs. We see a lot of VDI. VDI, if you have the uh, Horizon Advanced Suite or Enterprise Suite, they're tied in uh, from a licensing perspective. So it's not an additional cost from a, from a, a vSAN license uh, perspective. Uh, I really like you know, I mentioned Robo. How I'm, I'm, I'm smitten with the lack of a better term specific to uh, to Robo and TwoNote, but uh, I really like the the fact of management. Um, you know, like a management pod. I mean, how many people have ever had you know a virtualized domain controller, virtualized uh, you know DNS service, whatever else, and they're running on the storage that they're in the process of doing an upgrade to, right? You could get in a chicken and an egg situation. So we're seeing a lot of people go in and deploy management clusters, whether it be a single VxRail appliance or something like that, just to put their their core, you know, uh, AD and DNS and and some of the other really essential services on top of of an isolated uh, vSAN instance. And then going a little bit further, DMZ. You know, I I, I spent 24 years in the military with 19 of that uh, in communications, and you know, we had a lot of secure zones, right? Uh, specific to you know air-gapped security zones, where we don't have to worry about. Um, yeah, I'm smitten. I see your tweet. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, you know I don't have to go and buy this huge, you know, this array or this this scaled-down array that gives me a subset of features. Virtual SAN, whether it's a two-node or three-node or four-node, that you know I can fit in, in two U depending on the on the deployment form factor. I mean, you know, I can I can have an isolated security zone complete with enough capabilities and resources that I don't have to worry about, um, you know, coming up with some special way of deploying everything uh, with a traditional, you know, traditional array. One of the things I really think is great about about vSAN is the simple fact that that we can scale down just as easily as we can scale up, and a lot of people don't think about that. I mean, you go and you look at a large array. And you say, well, I'm going to run 500, you know, desktops, and you buy this array, and then, you know, 50 people actually use it. Well, then you've wasted a ton of money. Or you buy a little array, and then you say, yeah, we're only going to run about 100, you know, 100 desktops, and then everybody wants some. You know, next thing you know, you're trying to shoehorn 500 into a frame that'll only accommodate 100. So vSAN is really, really awesome in the fact that it scales up and it scales down. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, but the last thing I wanted to mention is is if you think vSAN might be a good fit, or you're interested, uh, you know, you're in the process of going through a, you know, a, um, you know, let's say you're looking at some new hardware or, or whatnot, 
if you take a vSAN assessment and all it really does is, is uh, we install a VIB uh, on your hosts and they take the uh, you know take the the performance metrics of of, of you know, writing and reading data essentially and we collect all this it takes about a week and you can run it longer if you'd like but it's free doesn't cost anything but we can take those numbers and then specifically say okay given your particular workload this is what you would expect as far as a requirement of a of a comparable vSAN environment or if you you know expect to grow by 50% in the next 6 months or the next year then you would need this much more that type of thing and and because vSAN scales linearly from a performance perspective it's kind of that building block approach right where you know if if i know that today i can support 400 desktops or 800 desktops on four nodes or whatever depending on the config or, or type of uh, you know type of worker if you will I know that if I need to add this much more then I just add, you know add this node add two nodes add four nodes whatever right so it, it, it makes it very very easy all right I think I've gone through the the bulk of the spiel um, I think what else um, I hope you guys were impressed that my my lab didn't completely die right? Dude, that that's far better than than any lab I've been able to uh, to launch. Well, let's let's see webinar. if my so, uh, let's see if my well, let's see if my VM. Let's look, go back and look at the policy, and see if my VM is compliant. Right? Let me check it. it. Should say compliant. Now it's compliant. If I go look at that VM, I close that so I can see. Oh come on! And it's obviously it doesn't want to show it. Look at that. Just as soon as I say something about the lab, it, it um, decides not to, not to uh, it's going to fail. I know it is. Me and my dev code. Sorry. Here we go. Uh, and refresh. I should see my control VM. And notice now that I've it's spread across multiple on the fly. Right, I didn't have to do anything special, and I didn't call a storage admin and give me a new one. Right. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, I think. Well, we'll we say, feel free to uh, to reach out to me on Twitter, just Jace McCarty. Um, I will say I'll also be at the Minneapolis um, VMUG UserCon on Tuesday, as well as HP Discover in Las Vegas on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. So. If you're around, please feel free to come by, say hello, and, and ask me any more stump the chump type questions. Happy to do my best to answer. Cool. Well, Jace, uh, thank you very much for your time this evening. We certainly do appreciate it. <laughs> oh, honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll have to go through and check out all the other ones too. I was uh, I was having a good time. I can time. only imagine. <laughs> I imagine. Okay, so cool. am I still sharing? How do I stop sharing? Okay. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording.